0: these old planes were so bulky and primitive looking and kind of clunky looking. Like, would I want to climb into that? Would it even get up into the sky? <laughs> would I want to open open the lid, as I say, you know, and, and get in? And the film does a really great job, actually, of showing you know, what the state-of-the-art aerial technology would have been in the late 40s and early 50s and all of us nowadays watching it just think we're more accustomed to something much sleeker much more modern by way of you know the planes that that these guys would be flying but that's where again i think it's of real interest to people who are military historians of a sort the armchair military historian to watch it and to see that this was what people were flying back then and and you know all joking aside on this the bravery they had, not just to go into combat, but simply to get into that airplane and take it up. I'm not sure I'd want to fly on that airline.
1: Hello, and welcome to At the Movies with Mike and Marie, a show where two film professors talk about movies. I'm Marie Westhaver.
0: And I'm Mike Giuliano.
1: Today, we're going to do two like behind the scenes at the military with devotion and the inspection, starting with devotion. Now, both of these are also true stories. Very, very different, though. So Mike, where do we dive into devotion?
0: Well, let's start off with that true story. It's about Jesse L. Brown, who was the first Black aviator in U.S. Navy history, and he entered um, in 1948. So it's very much a story late 40s, early 50s into the Korean War. And the thing about this film is you have to admire that life. And that's what really holds your interest there. It's, It's a true story. And it's so devoted to showing you the details of that life in terms of relationships and accomplishments and so on, that, you know, a measure of respect for that. But where I have, I'll say mixed feelings about the film is, it has a, you know, I don't want to seem like I'm obsessed with running time, but it has a running time of 138 minutes. And what strikes me about the film is it's remarkably old fashioned in some ways. And I should say, this is the kind of filmmaking I I like in the sense that it's deliberate and it's really careful with character development and scenic construction on and on. But you know what, there are times where that can seem kind of stilted or stodgy, and I think it does here a bit. One of the reasons for that is that the, the life of the man himself, just based on what little I know of the life that this was a guy who tended to hold his emotions close privately. Now, you could say, you know, he grew up in an era with Jim Crow laws, and he, he's a pioneer breaking through and had been a lily white military force and so on. And so he, he was guarded, right? He kept his emotions close to the vest. So I understand and respect all of that, but cinematically that can cause some problems. Jonathan Majors is the actor who does a really good job, but but oftentimes there are scenes where he's not gonna open up. He's not gonna say anything much, you know what I mean? He's just there. And you can, you can respect his perseverance and his, his strength of character to be there. But dramatically, sometimes scene by scene, you somehow want him to do more or, or say more, express himself. And he realize it's a sort of uh, inherent in frustration, I think, in telling this life story. He's not going to give you a tell-all confessional kind of thing. He holds it close. So that's one issue to, to deal with watching an overly long film. I'll be blunt about it. Uh, The other one has to do, the other aspect has to do with the filmmaking itself. The film is so deliberate and and just so predictable. Sometimes you want to sometimes just like, when I say goose it a little bit, I mean, just speed it up a little bit, move it along a little bit, because when you get into issues of like military training and, and entering into a war and so on, enough of that is kind of expected that Maybe two or three scenes can get that across, but when you have like additional scenes reinforcing the same few points. I think as as a viewer I get a little bit impatient with it, so I just felt oftentimes I just wanted the film to have a little a little more speed to it. Though as it does get into the Korean war, there is some really compelling footage of you know what's going to happen to him and just how things like that will play out, but it takes a while really to get there, what do you think.
1: Yeah, well, you know, Mike, I'm with you 100% about runtime. Anytime you go over two hours, there better be a really, really good reason for it. And I think what you're saying is what I felt was the problem with the movie, in that there wasn't really an actual story. You were just kind of dropped into this man's life and you followed him around for a while. There wasn't a sense of suspense or, you know, pulling the thing forward other than wondering when he was going to have to tell his wonderful wife that, you know, he was going to have to leave for a while, you know, maybe not come back because you, you never know. That was really the only tension in the film. And I couldn't understand why, because it actually had a lot of exciting things going on in it. Now, when it first started and I saw the planes that they, you know, were starting off by showing you, I thought, wow, this must have cost a lot of money to make. But in fact, most of the action shots were all CGI because the real planes had all been decommissioned, and they certainly weren't going to let them, even for a movie making a gazillion dollars, they weren't going to let them take these planes and harm them in any way. So I don't know how expensive it really was in the end in terms of the hardware. Very overwhelming when you see it. It's fabulous to watch on the big screen with the dogfighting. Really exciting stuff, very well done. And in a contrast to the way they did Top Gun Maverick, this was a good choice, I think. How did you like the effects, Mike?
0: Well, you know what, absolutely see it on the big screen because the aerial footage watching those vintage planes, you know, at some point it's so convincing, whether it's CGI or actual, it's convincing, right? You believe these planes are flying and that's just like worth watching in and of itself, aside from any narrative there. That's why the film has been referred to as a Top Gun prequel and it has that quality to it. And and it's really enjoyable to watch it though. There are some enjoyable incidents along the way. I think Marie hit on a, a really crucial point here, namely that there's not much narrative narrative tension for much of the film. There is the kind of racial tension of, you know, being the first, if you will, you know, integrating the the the, the Air Force that way. Yes, that's there in, in implicitly. But oftentimes, scene by scene, it's just him sort of going through the the, the drills, the routines, you know, all of that. And it, uh, it needs a little more oomph. It needs a little more push that way. But there are some other enjoyable episodes within the film, not just the aerial footage, but as they're being stationed one place and another, you know, they even like the French Riviera, the places they end up, there, there's a really delightful and initially like totally unexpected scene where they get to meet the young Elizabeth Taylor of all people. Mm -hmm. And you know what? That seems like a movie movie scene, but that actually happened. You know, she happened to be there and they're like a casino environment and they met Liz Taylor And it's just fun in the film to have like that. It's no more than like 10 or 15 minutes worth, but just, you know, they're guys on on like shore leave, basically, right? They're on leave. And who do you meet? You want to meet a nice girl, right? But the girl's Elizabeth Taylor. (laughs) And again, I just love that because it just seems like it's something that had to be fabricated. And then I'm reading about the film's background and this man's biography. And it did happen that way. So life has those moments. And so does the film. It doesn't have enough moments like that. As we keep saying, it just takes its time taking him through all this. That's where the film doesn't need to be radically overhauled so much as I would say edited. That's a case where you take the existing footage and you say, okay, what do we really need here to tell this man's story? Because once he gets to specifically the Korean War and and not just aerial flight, but aerial combat, it really, particularly if if you enjoy war movies, it will hold your interest completely. And in terms of race relations, the fact that he becomes partners with a white fellow flyer. And, and so you have a, a black white friendship at a time when such things were not common. And you know that's a character played by Glenn Powell. And as the two of them have their scenes together, I'm not saying great scenes in a dramatic sense, but important scenes in terms of showing how friendships were starting to form across racial lines. And that was helping in its own way to integrate the armed forces. Bear in mind that it, you know the, the armed forces had been segregated up until President Truman had desegregated them. So, so at the point where the story's taking place, blacks and whites had only been serving together for a matter of a few years. And that's important historical background here. So when this friendship forms between the Black Flyer and the White Flyer, yeah, that's gonna hold your interest for sure. And again, it, it's not what I would call Academy Award worthy performances or anything else. But on an historical note, it's important stuff to have. And that kept me with it as well. But it takes a while to really get into the war, if you will, into the, the footage that it really dramatically has some heft to it. It's just sort of a long, deliberate crawl to get there. What do you think, Ray? Because I, again, I feel like this film just takes its time getting to what we really wanted to get to.
1: A long, deliberate crawl is a great way to say it. And it's ironic because it's an action movie. And yet somehow you feel like it drags in places. Thank you for bringing up Glenn Powell, because the whole time I was watching the movie, I thought this was just such great casting because immediately you're remembering him as Hangman from Top Gun Maverick and also him portraying John Glenn in Hidden Figures. So you immediately think he is right for the part. You have a, I don't know, you've almost had, he almost has a background of seeming like he would be believable in this kind of character, sort of heroic, also very uh, down to earth and you know, you want to be friends with him. He just seems like, like a good guy, but he also seems like the characters that he's played in those other movies.
0: Yeah, in fact, you know, I think casting agents probably have him in, in the file under White Wingman. You know, they probably they have, they have a little note card just for him. Do we need another White Wingman? And you know, as typecasting goes, I shouldn't joke about it because he's exceptionally good at playing that kind of character. I like the way you put it, Marie. You want this guy to be your buddy. You just feel like if anyone can help, like reduce the tension in terms of racial tension, he can do it because he's just like a straightforward, honest, nice guy, and he's going to cut through all that nonsense of, of you know racial tension. It's just like, hey, you know, we're we're partners, right? We're flying together we got to look out for each other he just takes it down to basics in a way that's so compelling actually that i actually end up really like i enjoyed tracking i enjoyed following that friendship because it's you know emotionally something i wanted to see and it does have again that real life basis
1: i also liked the you know the the liz taylor scene they picked someone who looked believably like liz taylor i also like you know the fake president eisenhower at the end i thought I always like when they try to make somebody seem like it's the real person. But I wanted to ask you, Mike, in particular, what you thought about getting to see those planes and how you had to kind of clamber into them. You know, it wasn't like they were easy to get into or they look incredibly difficult to get into. You have to be extremely limber. And what it made me think of more than anything was was Snoopy, you know, going after the Red Baron in his sop with Camel. You know, it was just very, uh, it looks so primitive. It looks so unsafe. And when they would, you know, sort of push the top back so they're actually exposed to the air, I thought, this is insane. I can't believe they could actually fly these things at all. Did that shock you at all, Mike, or are you already up on all this aviation history?
0: Well, I, I wasn't shocked by it, but it was still bracing because I had the same reaction as you did, word for word, that these old planes were so bulky and primitive looking and kind of clunky looking, like would I wanna climb into that? Would it even get up into the sky? (laughs) Would I wanna open open the lid as I say, you know, and, and get in? And the film does a really great job actually of showing you know what the state of the art aerial technology would have been in the late 40s and early 50s. And all of us nowadays watching it just think we're more accustomed to something much sleeker, much much more modern by way of you know the planes that that these guys would be flying. But that's where, again, I think it's of real interest to people who are military historians of a sort, the armchair military historian, to watch it and to see that this was what people were flying back then. And and you know, all joking aside on this the bravery they had, not just to go into combat, but simply to get into that airplane and take it up. I'm not sure I'd wanna fly on that airline.
1: Definitely not, definitely not. So Mike, I wanted to ask you what you thought about the title because I think it was a miss. It doesn't give you an idea of what you're gonna get. In fact, I think it's a little bit of a red herring.
0: I agree so strongly with that, Marie. The title devotion Well, devotion to what you know it just it's too generic and potentially misleading because usually that word has spiritual associations and I'm not disassociating that here. And the intention presumably was you know this man's devotion to his wife, to his country to serving in the military I understand all that that you, you can make a strong case that way. Where you can't make a strong case, I think, and I'm agreeing with you here, Marie, is in terms of what I call marketing. In other words, you know, of all the movies crowding for your attention, you know, the movie marketplace. If you just see the title Devotion and you don't know anything or not much about it, you're going to probably form the wrong impression, and you may just simply like, in effect, turn the page or or hit the button and watch another movie, that kind of a thing. I don't think it really indicates, you know, what you're going to get in this film, what to expect. So I don't have a short list of better titles, but I know that Devotion would not be on a list of titles I would picked for. I don't like titles like that that are so so basic, so, so like like omnidirectional. It could be this, could be that. You want a title that either like really gets your interest, like, huh, I wonder what that is, or at least uh, flat out tells you this is what it is. But devotion is just too vague a title. It doesn't really, it just takes you off in various directions. And then when you watch the movie itself, the word devotion never occurred to me as I was watching the movie itself. And i getting at, it's just like, yeah, I know this man's dedicated and wants to do this and that, service country, but I wasn't thinking this is devotion. I mean, I know it is in a way, but it's not the word I was using.
1: Yeah, especially since I think the climax to me was the crash and then the various ways they tried to deal with the aftermath of that, the rescue the people waiting to find the news, the no man left behind, all of these you know critical moments of valor that were supposed to happen. What do you want to say,
0: Mike? Well, I want to say that the title <laughs> Crash has already been claimed. <laughs> <laughs> so Marie, pick a, pick a synonym, pick another word.
1: <laughs> You're right, Crash isn't going to work. I don't know. I think what would have been smarter would have been to do some sort of spoof or takeoff on the Top Gun, you know, Top Gun Maverick. I don't know, gun tops, sop with camel. I don't know. No, but you know
0: Well, that would have been misleading in a way because the film is dead serious. You know what I mean? It's really a very respectful and serious. So I don't I don't think like a, a sort of quasi satiric title would be appropriate either. What do you think here? Because I mean the film, I mean, and we have to respect this man's life story, and the film certainly does. So you need a title that that has to be like straight on, just the way the film is straight on. You know, it's it's not jesting or being it's not a meta reference of any kind, it's it's this man's life.
1: Yeah, you're right. You're right. Maybe they should have done something with his name to give you an idea that it was about a historical you know, story about, you know, pilot, about the pilot, first pilot, first black pilot. I don't know. Difficult to come up with a good title, but, but devotion, no, he- isn't it?
0: You know, you've got it there. I think something that directly references the aviation quality of it, you know, to to be a a Navy pilot, you know, to have your wings and so on. Of course, the title wings was claimed long, long ago. But Marie, you're absolutely right about that. I think it should be something that more directly references what this man did. I mean, you know, serving in in the Navy and flying and so on. There, There are any number of titles that might work that way. So if only they had followed our advice, but they never do.
1: They never do. Now, given that it's about the Korean War, Now, I do like war movies, but I can't say that I'm an expert on all the movies that have been made about the Korean War. All I could think about, of course, was MASH, but... Mike, where do you think this fits in terms of being a Korean War movie?
0: Well, the Korean War truly is the forgotten war. And I know it's, you know, truism to, to say that, but it is. When you think about how many people died and how major a conflict it was, it generally does get overlooked, as Korean War veterans oftentimes would, would observe to us. And for that matter, if you're on the mall in Washington, everybody's going to, to the Vietnam War Memorial, right? But, you know, just across the way is the Korean War Memorial, which is, it's actually well worth visiting, but how many people actually visit it? You know what I mean? It just seems like that's an afterthought almost. You you go to the mall and let's go to the Vietnam Memorial, as we should. It's an incredibly powerful experience to go to the Vietnam Memorial. But, you know, just to the other side of the lawn, as I say, would be the Korean War Memorial. So cinematically, it's also the overlooked war. There have only been a, a handful of, of Hollywood films that really directly dealt with it. And one of my favorite probably is Sam Fuller's Steel Helmet. And, you know, but th- there haven't really been that many films about the Korean War. So it's been overlooked. Cinematically, as well as I would say historically, in so many regards.
1: In terms of cutting down the runtime, what would you have cut out?
0: Well, that's a good question. I, I think there are enough uh, training sequences. You know, how many of those do you need? Likewise, in terms of the friction, the tension w- within the, the the core, black and white, and so on. Sometimes two or three really incisive scenes can do that for you. You don't always need scene after scene to reinforce that point. So, uh, you know, I, I'd have to sit down and like watch it again, scene by scene. But my, my gut feeling is there, there are probably places along the way you could take out a scene here, a scene there, and just tighten it up a bit.
1: Now, the Tom Hudner character uh, played by Glenn Powell, at the end when he is wearing the Medal of Honor, it's the actual Medal of Honor that, that Tom Hudner was awarded. I love little details like that that make things more real
0: that's really the emotional substance we've been talking about here, that the film really, it's devoted to this man's life. And to actually have that kind of detail, you're absolutely right. That makes a difference. It really means a lot that way. And so even though I had the reservations that we've been talking about, how can you not respect and really be you know emotionally moved by this man's story and about the friendship that he had and so on? So you know, ultimately, it is worth watching for those reasons.
1: Well, let's talk about the other military movie on our list, The Inspection. Now, I want to start off by saying that I know this was playing at the Charles. It was not playing at either of the theaters in Columbia. I had to go to another city to go see it. Uh, (laughs)
0: It's not another state, at least.
1: (laughs) But that sort of surprised me. I wasn't sure why that was the case, because it was opening in a regal theater in Silver Spring, but not in the one near me. So my first question, Mike, was... Do you have a sense for why this does not have a big enough release that, you know, I had to, you know, go further than my hometown to go see it?
0: Honestly, I don't have a short answer that would that fully satisfy you, but at least you stayed within state lines. So that that's that's reassuring. The film itself, The Inspection, is based on real life again. Both of our films today, of course, are military stories based on real life incidents. And this is an autobiographical first a feature film by Elegance Bratton, who's the writer and director of it. He himself has described the film as full metal jacket meets moonlight. And I think that really does it there in the sense that it's very much about a 25 year old man. The character's name is uh, Ellis and he is gay. And so earlier in his life, he was thrown out of his house by his mother, played by Gabriel Union. And so since the age of 16, he's basically been living on the street, homeless shelters and so on. So his life has been drifting in the sense that in his late teens into his 20s, he's just scraping by as to where he's going to rest his head every night. And his mother, who's who's a uh, New Jersey corrections officer, she has a really strong moral compass and, and her moral compass just will not accept him as a gay man. And so he's been basically thrown out of the house and not welcome back. And so on his own, he decides what he should do is join the army. He should, he should really become a Marine. And like, if not just join the army, but I want to join the Marines. I want the toughest of the tough. And here's where the film, I think, is interesting and yet frustrating. What's interesting is the fact, the biography I've been tracing for you, and that, you know, he's going to try to make it in the army. Now, this isn't, he joins the Marine Corps in 2005. Bear in mind, this is at the height, I'll call it that, of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. So, it's a really awkward moment in military history in terms of if you are a gay person in uniform, how do you handle that? You know, do you say, and, and, and like whether you're the actual soldier or an officer, or whatever, like what can you say? What could you ask? I mean, everyone's sort of, you know, awkward with this situation. So, that's kind of interesting. Here's where the film for me is a bit of a, of a letdown. Almost the entire running time of the film, and it's not, a, it's 95 minutes, it's not a particularly long film, but almost the entire running time. Takes you through what I call boot camp, takes you through the training and just scene after scene after scene. And yes, I understand, you know, on an emotional level, how this man is is like so deeply afraid of of what'll happen if his sexuality is exposed and he and he's you know ostracized or punished, whatever. And that, that works well within the film, but almost all of that running time is just him going through all the physical exercise and all the training and so on that you need to get through this program. And uh, that's the the, the sort of full metal jacket component. And of course, as a closeted would-be Marine, that's the moonlight component, if you will. What is lacking, I think, is, first of all, a full enough sense of this man's background. You know, whether with his mother back home or just with friends he's had, where he's been living, anything. It's a long list of things I'd want to know more about there. My imagination can fill in the blanks, sure, but it would be nice to have some reference to all of the above. And then, secondly, just to, you know, get him through training camp maybe a little bit sooner or, or just somehow open it up to other things. The film, I think, gets locked into the day-to-day of what it is, it's very convincing at that level. That's sort of the full metal jacket of how bruising it can be to, to go through the Marine Corps training, but it just sort of stalls at that level, and for me, it's like ultimately very frustrating that way. What do you think?
1: Well, I absolutely love the runtime for its own sake, but I'm with you. Apparently, he had been homeless for a decade before he decided to you know, try to join the Marines, and... That's just sort of they start with that being the past. You don't know anything about that. You join him as he's trying to get his mother to find his birth certificate so that he can enlist. And as far as don't ask, don't tell, well, everybody asks, and there's more than one gay person in the movie. So you know, people are also telling. So I thought it was interesting to see. I mean, that's how I assumed it was anyway, that just because you tell people, don't ask, don't tell. Nobody actually followed that, which of course leads to scenes of horrifying, in my mind, brutality that I found very hard to watch. And what it reminded me more of than anything else, I guess, especially with Gabrielle Union playing such a religious mom, it reminded me of all those church confessions, when people would get up and they'd speak for half an hour about all the drugs they did and all the unsafe sex they had and all the criminal activity they engaged in and you know all this exciting stuff in terms of story and then it would end with and then I got saved and that's kind of where they stopped the movie it's he goes through this you know ruling dehumanizing boot camp and then you sort of he emerges victorious but we don't really follow him afterwards was he glad he made those choices you don't really know and by the way Gabriel Union is wearing some of the jewelry, his mother's actual jewelry. She passed away before she could see this movie.
0: Yeah, I like Gabrielle Union's performance quite a bit. I wanted more of that character uh, among the many things I wanted more of. And Marie, I think you've perfectly identified the frustration of watching it. We do want to learn more about his earlier life. It's just, it's the point of departure for the film. We just, in very hasty fashion, learn he's essentially been homeless for 10 years and decides to go into the Marine Corps and that, that that'll, that'll be a new life for him. Okay, that's all true to life and, and dramatically true, but you want to know a little bit more of what we're calling the backstory. That's at the one end of the film. At the other end of the film, it does seem kind of hasty towards the end there in terms of the the salvation, if you will, or getting through that. And you want to know a bit more about what he goes on to. And so heading into the movie and coming out of it, I felt like really, really wanting to know so much more than what the film is giving me. Instead, it gives me those scenes, and you're absolutely right about this, don't ask, don't tell. Well, that's the policy, and it's awkward and cumbersome for everybody. But people do, you know, they do ask, they do tell, you know, there, there are some really brutal scenes of, of hazing, I'll, I'll put it politely, just called hazing there that are really hard to watch, tough to watch. Marie, let me ask you again, like, how many scenes like that do we need? Like, like, the point is made, but it's like, after a while, it's just bruising to watch it. It's like, oh, no, here we go again. Another scene of him being, you know, really, you know, tortured, basically, because of his sexual identity.
1: Yeah, and I think that goes beyond hazing. That's just actual persecution. Which is why it was very uh, difficult. Now, I wanted to say, I think part of the reason it hit me wrong in that way was that from the beginning, I was getting sort of an officer and a gentleman kind of vibe. But that movie, of course, takes a whole different tack in terms of, you know, what's going on in family relationships in the background and, and, uh, you know, the army making a man out of you kind of a thing, the shouting, screaming officers that greet you when you get off of the bus, all of that not leading to a satisfying ending like you get in Officer and a Gentleman, I thought was maybe uh, my own bias, coloring how I felt about the movie. And I have to say, I know I say this all the time, I hated the title.
0: I think you've answered your own question as to why the movie hasn't had wider distribution. It's a difficult film to watch. You know, it's really brutal what's done to this man in in boot camp. It is torture oftentimes. And so I agree with you completely on that. And so the second thing which we've doubled back on is, yeah, the title. The title the inspection is just too generic, too vague. You know, you want something that points a little more directly to the military subject matter, or to the sexuality, or, or to, to something, but that kind of title could be almost anything, right? It, it doesn't really key you into what we're going to get in the film itself.
1: They could have named it "Don't Ask, Don't Tell," because it would have given you the setting and an idea of probably what the content was all
0: about. Good idea. Now, that'd be a, that'd be a better title.
1: Now, was this based on something that was already written that was already called "The Inspection," or did the writer director title just the movie
0: it's autobiographical based directly on the writer director's own life experience so the movie itself you know they gave it that title so back to our point they could have given it a different title we just don't like that title at all but again they don't listen to us they, they gave it that <laughs> title and therefore you had to travel many miles to see it
1: well the other thing is that although there are inspections in the movie there isn't one inspection that is pivotal wasn't that confusing
0: it is confusing at that level. They do get inspected all the time. They're like, how's your uniform? Are you wearing it properly? I mean, they're inspected on a daily basis. But uh, as I'm watching that, I'm not thinking the inspection. I'm just thinking, well, this is boot camp. This is what they do. You know what I mean?
1: I think maybe they were trying to get across the idea of scrutinization. You know, scrutiny. Oh, where, sure. You know what? What you're getting at with with the whole idea of don't ask, don't tell, which is people prodding anyway. But inspection is more of a observational thing more than probing.
0: We're giving it more critical analysis than they did. <laughs> <laughs> we should have been at that conference table. If you had been there, you'd be a highly paid consultant at this point. Yeah, you know, because you're absolutely right about that. It's not a very marketable title that way. It's too baggy. It's too generic.
1: Yeah, I agree. Missed opportunity. Hope this man prevailed in the end because we don't really get to find out much more about him. Although, you know, he's a like a burgeoning filmmaker. So maybe we'll see more stuff from him. But that does bring us to the end of this episode. Don't forget to check out our other podcasts at dragondigitalradio.podbean.com and under Dragon Digital Radio on Spotify and Pandora. And we'll see you next time at the movies.
0: See you then. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio.